side of me. And uh, we're going to talk today about building strong families. So let us open to the book of Ephesians. Let's open to the book of Ephesians, if you brought your Bibles with you. The book of Ephesians. And for the next couple of Sundays, we're going to be talking about building strong families. Building strong families. Do you know God established the family before he established anything else? The family. The family is the basic building block. And, uh, you know, Adam and Eve, a husband and a wife. And so we're going to talk about building strong families. Today we're going to talk about marriages. Next Sunday we're going to talk about children and raising children. And uh, just as the Lord leads and directs. And we're also going to, as we talk about building strong families, another way that we could say this is how to make your house a home. How to make your house a home. You know, as you drove to church this morning, you passed many, many houses, more than likely. But I wonder how many of those houses are really homes. You, you know what I mean by that? How many, how many of you know what I mean by that? There's a difference between just having a, a, a structure where you live in and having a home. You know, if, if your house isn't a home, your house is no different than a hotel or something like that. I wonder how many houses you passed this morning where there was arguing and fighting and fussing going on and, and uh, where a husband has been out all night and hasn't come in and his wife's wondering where he's at or how many of those houses you passed, the wife is you know, maybe not doing what she's supposed to be doing or the kids, they're not doing what they are supposed to be doing. They didn't come in. They were supposed to come in at 10 o'clock and the kids haven't come home yet, you know, and the parents are worried about them. And, you know, just, just because you have a house doesn't mean you have a home. And, and God has given us his instruction manual. It's the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And he has instructed us on how we can turn our houses into homes. And how many, how many really want to have a home, not just a house, okay? And so my wife, Diane, will be assisting me in teaching the next couple of Sundays. And so open to uh, the book of Ephesians. Did I ask you to open to, to the book of Ephesians yet? All right, open to the book of Ephesians. And I want you to go to chapter 5, verse 22. Open to Ephesians chapter 5, if you would, please. And uh, I feel that we need to begin in verse 22. So I'll give you a moment. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We were going to start in verse 25. No, I, I feel we need to do, I feel we need to do, we need to do 22. I prayed about it. And I really feel like God spoke to me to start in verse 25. Well, I prayed about it too. And God told me verse 22. Well, I can hear from God better than you. Well, In fact, I dreamt about it last night. And I dreamt that we were up there and we were going to start in verse 25. Well, I had an vi open vision and the Lord show showed me it's verse 22. I had a phone call this morning on my cell phone from Austria. No, I'm, not, I'm kidding. I didn't have that. But I really do feel like verse 25 is the place no, to start. No, verse 22. I said verse 22. You always think you need to get your own way, don't you? Now, those of you who are visiting, 
we're, this isn't how we do things. How many's ever seen us argue ever before? We, she did get mad at me one time years ago, and I deserved it. She got mad and threw a grapefruit at me, remember, and I ducked and it hit the wall. But, but I had it coming. I had it coming. But we, we, this was all set up here today. But, you know, it, it illustrates a point. And it illustrates a point, and it's one reason why, at least what we've seen, why many Christian marriages are on the rocks. You know what I mean by on the rocks and crumbling? Is because of the husband feels God has shown them to go one way, and the wife feels that God has shown them to go a different way. And the question is... Who is right? Who is right? Now let me ask you, opening to verse 22 versus verse 25, that's not sin, is it? I didn't ask her to go out and lie, did I? No, I just, I said we need to go to verse 22. She says verse 25. The question is, which verse should we go to? So I want you to go to verse 22. And seriously, I want you to begin reading. I'm going to have my lovely wife uh, begin reading there. Verse 22. Yes. Actually, I might say something real quick. (laughs) Going to verse 25 and doing that first would have been a very self-serving purpose. Amen? So we're going to go to verse 22 first. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And then verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, let me, let me well, why don't you just say this, hon? As the scripture says there, I am, as he is my husband, I am to yield to him. Yeah. And that's what submit means there is to yield. And you see, like if I had told her to tell a lie or go out and steal something, she should never do that. She should never do that. But uh, I didn't ask her to go steal something or tell a lie or something like that. I just said, hey, let's go to verse 22. See, if I told her to, to sin, she shouldn't listen to me. Because the Bible says we ought to obey God rather than, than man. She should obey God rather than me. So if I say, you know, hey, we need to go out, Diane, go out and tell a lie, she should never do that. But if it comes down to something that's not a sinful thing, like do we go to verse 22 or do do we go to verse 25, see, the way the Lord has set it up is that the, the wife is supposed to yield to the husband. Now, again, those of you who are visiting and you don't know my heart yet because maybe you're just here the first time today and you don't know. Uh, This is not about the husband being the dictator, the the ruler, the the power, and the wife being the doormat. See, that's not the way God wants it. He doesn't want the husband to be, you know, Mr. Know-it-all and run everything with a rod of iron and the wife to be a, a, a little doormat. That's not it at all. Really what he wants, what God wants, and we'll see this as we go, is that, that who did he make first, Adam or Eve? He made Adam, and then out of Adam's side he took Eve. See, the wife is not to be... He didn't take Eve out of Adam's feet. The wife is not supposed to be a doormat under his feet. 
nor did he take Eve out of his Adam's brain where the wife is supposed to you know, be the head of the husband. He took the woman out of the rib, out of the side of man, and he said, I'm going to make you a helper comparable to you. Remember that? And so the wife is supposed to stand by the husband's side as his helper, you see. And, and that's the way it's supposed to work. And the, uh, the, the, the Bible is very clear that the woman is not supposed to be the doormat that the husband walks all over, but it's clear in Scripture that God has given the responsibility of leadership to the husband. And the husband, the Bible says, is, is the head of the wife. That just means has the responsibility of leadership and the wife, in verse 22 there, says that she's supposed to submit. And that word submit just means to yield to her husband. So in this case here, which, which one will God honor? Going to verse 22 or going to verse 25, God will honor what the husband says. Did you hear that? Do you understand that? And, and I've seen, I've, we've seen so many uh, 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 Christian marriages on the rocks, you know what I mean by on the rocks, because simply the husband went before the Lord and got what he felt they were supposed to do, and then the wife, she comes up with a different plan, and so she won't submit herself or yield herself to her husband, and so the marriage winds up crumbling and on the rocks. And I've seen them wind up in divorce. Did you know that God's will is not divorce? Did you know that? And you know it's sad when Christians are getting divorced at the same rate as the world. It's sad, isn't it? And, and so God is not in favor of divorce. That is not what he wants. Uh, go ahead. You have something to say? If you notice in Scripture, Scripture gives us the best examples. And God led Mary and Joseph through Joseph. And an example like when um, Joseph knew it was time to flee into Egypt, you don't see Mary saying, uh-uh, ain't no way. Do we have reservations at the Hilton? You know, are we going to, do, do you have a, you know, what kind of ride do you have for us to get there? She didn't go through, she, did, she w- wasn't obstinate. She didn't buck a- against him. She went with him. Yeah. And, you know, like on one occasion, remember Abraham, how many of you remember Abraham and Sarah? You remember? Do you remember Abraham and Sarah? They were a husband and wife team in the Old Testament. And on one occasion, God sided with Sarah. God sided with, on the one occasion, with, with the wife over the husband because the wife was taking the right position. You see, God will side with what is right. You understand? But, but if it comes down to where... And I've learned this over the years. See, like with my wife and I... I never just go off and just, you know, seek the Lord and, and get, get what I feel He wants done and come in and say, you know, uh, Diane, this is what we're going to do. Have I ever done that? No. What, what we do is I'll get off and, 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 and seek the Lord. She'll, she'll seek the Lord. And then we'll, we'll, we'll get together and I'll say, you know, honey, I believe this is what, the, I feel this is what the Lord wants us to do. Of course, it must line up with the written Word of God or it's, it's not God to start with. But then I'll say, honey, I feel like this is what we need to do. And then there's been occasions where she has said, you know, I've got peace with that. That's right on. I've got peace with that. See, how does the Lord lead? He leads through his holy written word. And then he also leads through what? Peace versus what? No peace. 
And so there's been times where, where I felt I, I knew what the Lord wanted us to do on a, you know, going a certain direction, like building th this building here, buying this ground. When we walked on this ground back years ago, 12, 13 years ago, whatever it was, I just had peace when I walked on this ground. And, and then I talked with her later, and she had that same peace, you see. And, and, and I've learned, we've learned this over the years, that, that God will lead a husband and wife. He leads through the husband and he confirms through the wife. Do you know what I mean by confirms? And he'll lead through the husband and confirm through the wife. And there's been times where, where I felt like I knew what the Lord wanted us to do. And I came to her and I said, honey, this is what I feel the Lord wants us to do. And she'll say to me, she'll say, you know what? I just don't have peace with that. And do you know what we do? We don't do it. We hold it. We hold on to it. We don't move on it. I don't move unless I, I feel I've got the, got the plan from the Lord, of whatever it may be, and then I've got her. She's in agreement with it. She's got peace with it as well. And, and, and almost without exception, when we've done that, now we're human. We, we can miss it. But almost without exception, we've, we've not missed it. But that only works when the wife respects her husband and honors him. If he comes to me with, you know, what he feels like God has told him, and I always think that he's stupid or an idiot or a jerk or dumb or makes poor decisions, then anything he tells me that God tells him I'm going to think is stupid or idiotic. But if I have on the inside of me, I have a deep respect and, a, and honor of my husband, which the Bible says we're supposed to have, then when he comes to me with something that he feels, automatically I'm going to honor and respect it. And, and just so you know, God's not talking to me all the time. Amen. He's not leading me and guiding me through. Do you understand that? Most of the people, I'd say 100% of the people, would that be all of them? Yeah. That are always saying, God told me this, God told me that, God told me the other thing. 100% of those people are flaky. Come on now. Come on now. I'm not taking that back. I don't mean to be rude, but it's true. You know, God, as far as what I would call major direction for our lives, the Lord has given us major direction. W would you say buying property and building a house is major direction? Yeah. How about buying property and building a church? Is that major direction? Yeah. How, how about... Uh, should we shop at Kmart or Walmart? That's not major direction. Do we eat at Burger King or, or, or McDonald's? Is that major direction? That's not major direction. Uh, how about uh, I've got a job offer in, in California and I've got one in New York. Is that major direction? That's major stuff. See, God does lead us and guide us to that major, those major things. But, but, but you know, there, there's, I've already met some people that'll say, well, you know, God told me to wear the blue tie today. You know, God didn't say a thing in the world to me about this tie or this. Do you understand that? So, you know, he gave us a brain, didn't he? Huh? And so, so but I'm talking about there's been, and the Lord does speak to us all right. He, he, he's, you know, number one way he speaks to us is how? This, the word. But what if you can't go to the Bible? I can't go to the Bible and find out if I'm supposed to live in New York or California. Can you? So then you've got to be led by the Spirit of God. 
And, that, and the way he does that is through peace or no peace. You, you see? And so when there's major direction that's needed, then, then I'll get along with the Lord. She'll get along with the Lord. We'll pray. And then I'll come in there and say, I feel like this is what the Lord wants us to do. And, and then she'll either, you know, if she agrees with it, then we go with it. If, if she doesn't. Did you know you could have the right plan but the wrong timing? Did you get that? There's been times I've had, I've had the right plan, all right, but I had the wrong timing on it. So we just waited a couple of years, then we did it, and then the timing was right and it worked. So anyway, um, and, and then I want to say this. I, boy, we got off the notes, didn't we? But that's okay. Uh, I have had at least a dozen grown men over the years sit across from me, some of them crying, and saying, my wife is making me do something. Or my wife won't support my decision that I feel I have from God and it, and it lines up with the Bible. And these are wives who have heard the teaching from the book of Ephesians and other scriptures. And you know, I, I really, I've, had, I've probably had at least a dozen grown men sit in my office and, uh, at a restaurant or someplace else over the years and just cry like a baby and say, you know, you know, I feel like I know what the Lord wants us to do and my wife, she won't even, she's just, she's just, just set that, it's, that, that we need to go this other way. She just set that we need to go this other way. I've had them sit there and cry, you know. And, and it's very difficult because what should a wife do? A wife should be submissive to her husband. It's very important as a woman, as a wife, that you check yourself constantly to make sure that you're not manipulating your husband. Um, many women can become very, very skilled in manipulation through all kinds of things, through lavishing love, through withholding love, through temper tantrums, pouting, uh, you know, what's called hissy fits or, you know, all kinds of ways a woman can manipulate a man. And you, as a Christian woman, you need to check yourself and make sure that you are not doing that because that's not very becoming. And when you put yourself in a position of manipulating another person, the Bible calls that witchcraft. You're, having, you're trying to control another person, and that is a very ungodly thing to do. And then if you're trying to control your husband, you're no longer submitted to them, him. You're making him submit to you and your will, and that is a very dangerous place to be in. Yeah. Look at Colossians 3.19. Look at Colossians 3.19 in the Amplified Bible. And because uh, we want to get the proper balance on this. We don't want anybody to go away today thinking that a husband should just rule the roost and be the, you know, the dictator, and, and that a wife should be, you know, cower in fear. We don't want anybody to think that. But yet a husband is supposed to lovingly lead his wife, and the wife should be standing by his side helping him, and they should work together, you see, and talk. Look at Colossians 3.19 in the Amplified. It says, Husbands, love your wives. You know, we've said a lot about the wife being submissive, but what about husbands loving your wives? I heard a, a, a man one time, heard the story. He said to his wife, he said, wife, he said, submit to me. And she said, well, I would if you gave me something to submit to. See, we as men, we need to be lovers of our wives. We need to, to love them unconditionally. Look at this. Be affectionate and sympathetic with them. And do not be harsh or bitter or resentful toward them. You see... We're supposed to love them, not be harsh, bitter, or resentful toward them. We're supposed to love them. See, this leadership that God has given us, it's, it's not a power trip. It's, it, it is a responsibility that carries with it a tremendous weight and pressure. You need to understand that. 
And, and husbands need to rise up and be men of God and, and, and follow after God and not be wishy-washy and uh, give their wife something good to submit to. A good husband can take his wife, just take a wife, a new wife as like a rosebud. A good husband can make that rosebud, rosebud, rosebud decay and wilt and die away. Or, or a good husband with this love that the Bible is talking about can make that rosebud bloom and become the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. It's all within the power of the husband. When he builds her up, when he when he nourishes her emotionally, when he supports her and loves her, he just takes that woman and makes her more and more beautiful with every year that passes. Amen. And Let's, look at verse 18 now. Verse 18, wives, be subject to your husbands, subordinate and adapt yourselves to them, as is right and fitting in your proper duty in the Lord. Amen. And for a house to be a home, there must first be unity between the husband and the wife. And you see, a house divided against itself cannot stand. See, and children, we'll say more about children next Sunday, but children need to feel unity between their mom and dad. It's very important. So that's why we're talking about the mom and dad here today. Now look at Genesis 2.18. Genesis 2.18. Genesis 2.18. Now if you're visiting, of course, we, we spend a, the majority of our time around here in the New Testament. But, you know, we can learn some things from the Old Testament too. Amen. Genesis 2.18. We, we mentioned this a moment ago, but I think it bears repetition. And the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. He was talking about Adam there. Think about that. Adam, if you will, had God all to himself. Think about that. And God said, this isn't good. He says, I'll make him a helper comparable to him or suitable for him. And you see... That's just exactly what we've been talking about here is that God made Eve to stand by Adam's side to help him, you see. And, and I tell you what, my, my wife has just been such a wonderful... I, I couldn't, have, couldn't have found a better wife for me. She's suitable for me and has just been a blessing to me. She stood by my side every step of the way these last many years and 16 years that we've been doing this, pastoring this church and has just been, been a wonderful blessing. And... Uh, and praise God. So, again, I want to reiterate, the husband should get the plan of God for the family. And the wife should stand supportively by his side, helping him in any way possible. And together they should lead their children to the place of peace in God. Amen. Now, look at Genesis uh, 2.24 here. Look at Genesis 2.24. And we want to just say a few things about uh, four principles of marriage. Just in the last part of this message, we want to talk to you about four principles of marriage. Genesis 2, 24 and 25, God gives us four principles of marriage. Now, these were given to Adam and Eve, the first married couple, as a foundation for their marriage to be a success. So I think we can learn some things from this as well. So let me read Genesis 2, 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So we see here principle number one is the principle of priority. The priorities change when you get married. Uh, it says, therefore, man shall leave his father and mother. A rearranging of priorities. For most of our young life, our major priority, our center of our life has been around our parents. But when you get married, God is saying you must rearrange your priorities. 
Yes, and one major area that causes problems in marriages are misplaced priorities. And if your priorities in your, in your home are not right, your house will not be a home. And so on the screen, they're going to put up the priorities that we should have once we get married. You know, first and foremost, who is at the top of the list? God. He should always be first before any, anyone or anything else. And then next to God, right after God, who should be next on your priority list? Your spouse. And then after that comes your children. children see? And then after that, it, it, it spreads out, you see. It spreads out. You've got your, well, let me see if I can read this here. Notice you've got your, your uh, extended family, you know, your relatives, your friends, your career, your church life. You notice that, don't you? Notice, see, uh, God comes first, doesn't he? And then next is who? Your spouse. And then next is children. And then it, it, it spreads out and you've got your extended family, friends, career, church life, you know. And then after that, you'd have hobbies, sports, gardening, whatever it might be, race car driving or whatever, you know, whatever, bowling, tennis, whatever it might be, baseball, football, hockey. Now, notice the hobbies... Is your wife more important than your Sunday morning tea or Saturday morning tea time? You know what? That's a golf. That's tea time. Is golf now? Not having <laughs> golf. But you know, I've watched marriages crumble because golf was more important to the husband than his wife. You know, um, like for example, children. You know, uh, your children have to be more important to you than your career. You understand that? I've already seen men make career moves and career decisions. Now, does God want you to work and support your family? Yes. But I've already seen men pull their kids right out of the middle of their senior year of high school because he got a better job offer across the country. And so he pulls his kids right. You know, it's one thing if you move children when they're very young, because I was a school teacher for many years before we in the ministry full time. And, and when you move kids when they're younger, you know, maybe from one school district to another, it, 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 it's, 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 it's not as hard on them. I'm not saying you should do it. You've got to seek the Lord and do whatever's right for you and your family. But moving kids when they're little is one thing. But when you pull a, a senior out of that senior year of high school midway through, you know what I mean? And, and they've had all these friends for all these years and you pull them away from that so you can go make some more money. And I've watched guys, they've done that and they make more money, but guess what? Now they've got a rebellious teenager on their hand. Wouldn't it be maybe wise if you needed that job, if maybe you maybe moved out there ahead of time, took the job, and then as soon as your son or daughter graduates high school, then move them out there with you? I mean, you know, on a short-term thing or something? I mean... Because you see, doesn't your children, aren't they more important than your job? You see, so if, if people, if they would just follow this right here, I, I, I've already seen people put their children ahead of their spouse. Now, do you, should you love your children with all of your heart? Yes. But your spouse has to be more important to you than your children. And with a marriage, marriage relationship, you have a covenant relationship with your spouse. You don't have that with your children the same way. You have a covenant relationship with your spouse. And it's very, very, very demoralizing to your spouse 
if your children become more important to you than your spouse. And what happens is, you know, you may be able to take it when they're 10, 11, maybe 15, but when they become, they're more important to you than your spouse when they're 18 or 21 or 25, and it's you and your spouse at home, your kids are gone and you don't have that relationship anymore because your kids are more important to you. That just doesn't work. You always have to keep your spouse as more important than your children. You have to have a special relationship with your spouse, and it has to be stronger than the relationship with your children because the children, they can, they can play you against each other. You know, if you're, not, if you're not in unity, your children can play you against each other. You have to have that relationship with your spouse. Yeah. And we're not saying you shouldn't love your children. I mean, love them with all your heart. You should love them. That's what God says. All we're saying is, is that you should have a special relationship with your spouse that, that, that you know, your spouse should come before your children, you see. What's sad is when you have kids that are married and out on their own and you want to be with them more than your spouse. That's a sign of, of not having that special relationship with your husband. And one other thing I might say, it's not in our notes, but I'll say this. Please make it a rule, don't argue in front of your children. Don't ever let them see disunity between you and your spouse, okay? Uh, we've, we've watched this over the years, and whenever, uh, as we were raising our children, one thing that we did is whenever we were going to have an argument, how many's ever had an argument between me, beside me and Pastor Diane? Uh, okay. Go in your bedroom or go somewhere where they can't see you arguing, okay? It just, it does something to the kids that, that's not good. And always let those kids see a unified front, okay? You know what I mean? And uh, it's just important in raising your children. Yeah, kids can get very fearful if their parents are arguing. They, they can be afraid that something bad is going to happen. It gives them a sense of a lack of a sense of security if their parents are arguing in front of them. And we recommend that you don't ever argue, but if you're human, you're going to. Well, we've got a lot of people that they've never argued. Can you? That's you know, wonderful. They're just sitting out there. You know, I've never taught with anybody in bare feet before. Boy, we're really, we're really, going, uh, we're really going casual, aren't we? Anybody want me to kick my shoes off? All right. So look. What does the Bible say? Genesis 2.24, be joined to his wife. So we're supposed to leave our, our mother and father, be joined to our wife. And that word, actually, I think the King James says cleave to his wife. Cleave means to catch by pursuit, to pursue with great energy and effort, to cling to, stay close to, stick with, stay with. You see, you've got to learn this. Now, men have a hunter mentality. Once the hunt is over, once they get the ring on the, on, the, on the girl's finger, the challenge is over and it's very easy for them to lose interest in their wife, you see. And we must continue once we're married to pursue each other even after the honeymoon is over. Yeah, the spouse must continue to look nice, smell nice, act lovely, be attentive to their spouse and continue the romance. The romance in your marriage should never end and it should never die down. As, uh, the best way to make the law of pursuit work is to learn about and take uh, part in the interest of your spouse. In my life, it was watching golf on television, which, believe me, I really, 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 about 10 million reallys had no interest in. But because he did it, I wanted to spend some time with him, so I did it. 
And I have to say this on my behalf, I wound up watching the gardening channel, which I have no interest in whatsoever at all, but because, see, she's a gardener. She all these pretty flowers, that's what she does. And I, I don't, uh, I, I don't, I'm not into that. I, think, I like to look at it, but I don't like to plant them and weed them and all of that. But, uh, but I did the same thing, and so I, you know, sit there and watch the gardening channel with her. But it's important to find out the interests of your spouse and do those things, you see. You understand? All right, go ahead, honey. You have to have a, a common pursuit also. And the best common pursuit that you can have is to serve the Lord. And when a married couple regularly pursues God and has that as their focus, the marriage will stay vibrant. And the Bible talks about a threefold cord is hard to break. And what it's talking about is when you have, as, as a husband and wife, when you keep Jesus as the central focus of your marriage, I tell you what, your marriage will stay strong. And I can't think of a better thing to do than to serve God together as husband and wife. How about you? Now then. Uh, the third principle is the principle of possession. In Genesis 2:24, it says, and they shall become one flesh. The emphasis here is on unity, which implies uh, the emphasis is on one flesh, which implies unity. The act of becoming one flesh involves much, much more than sex. Marriage is a complete union in which all things previously owned and managed separately are now owned and managed jointly. There's no exceptions to this whatsoever. If it is true of our bodies, then it certainly applies to our possessions. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 3. It says, Let the husbands render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. That's a command of Scripture. We don't get to say, well, I don't feel like it. I'm not in the mood. Stay away from me. The Bible says, Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. See, anything in a marriage that is not jointly owned and operated will eventually lead to division and separation. I want to say that again. Anything in a marriage that is not jointly owned and operated by the husband and the wife equally will eventually lead to division and separation. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Jesus said that. And this involves merging everything together between the husband and wife, all assets and liabilities. And uh, one thing that we do anymore when we do premarital counseling before we marry somebody, we, we want to be sure that both the husband or the, the man and a woman that are going to be getting married, that they understand if their person that they're going to marry has any liabilities or any outstanding debts or, you know, you understand what I'm saying? Because when you marry that person, you not only, and I know that we won't get into all the laws of Missouri and all of that, but uh, you know, I think, when, I think in Missouri when you get married legally, it's, it's whatever's hers, his becomes 50-50. I believe that's the way that goes. 100-100. Yeah. Is that what it is? And then if there's yeah. a divorce, they split it 50-50, something like that. But the point is, is that uh, you know, when you get married... All of the assets and liabilities become one together. Were you going to say something? Mm -hmm. Yeah, if, if you're marrying someone who has $100,000 in credit card debt, when you get married, that's yours now. 
You know, so we even go to the point that we insist on credit checks before we'll marry anybody because people do lie. Oh, they do? Especially about debt. <laughs> See, when we got married, um, uh, what, 21 years ago, uh, she had a house and I had some land. It's too bad that the house wasn't on the land. But anyway, she had some ho a house. I had some land. We each had a car. We each had a bank account. And after we got married, both our names went on everything we owned. And you see, this is something else we've seen in, in couples that are having marital problems. See, it's not my money and her money. It's our money. It's not my bills, her bills. It's our bills. We've already seen it where a husband works, you know, and, uh, uh, and then his wife. And there's nothing wrong with the wife working. If, the, if that's what you agree to do, that, that's great. My wife has worked since we've gotten married because she, she chose to, you know. Sometimes it's important that the wife stay home. That's whatever you decide. That's your business. But I've already seen where the husband was working and they needed some extra help to pay bills. So the wife went and got a job. And then when she got her paycheck and the husband said, okay, let's pool the money. I mean, she was ready to hit him over the head with the frying pan. Because that's my that's money. money. That's my money. It doesn't work it that doesn't, way in a marriage. It, 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 no, and I've never seen one of them yet that were all that they could be for God that operated that way. It's, it's, our, it's not her money, my money. It's our money. It's not her bills, my bills. It's our bills, you see. And some people actually think that the Bible says that a woman shouldn't work. Some people actually think that, but that's nowhere in the Bible. And if you look at the Proverbs 31 woman, who, who's looked at as an example of a virtuous woman, she worked her tail off in the home and outside the home, and the money she made outside the home helped support the home. And so if you have it in your mind that a woman is not allowed to work, just look at Proverbs 31. Yeah, and, and it's up to you. That's, that's to, it, and something you should learn as, as pastors, we don't meddle in your lives. You know, I hope you've seen that. We, we, we teach the Word of God. We're here. If you need us, we'll bend over backwards to help you. But if, you, if the wife wants to work, that's your business. If the wife doesn't want to work, that's your business. How many of you know, how many of you would agree that's probably a good way to pastor, isn't it? Amen. Okay. Also, I've had uh, folks say this. Well, if we only had more money. I had a person say that to me uh, sometime in the past. Well, if we only had more money, you know, our marriage would be better. Well, you know what, what I felt the Lord showed me is that, and, and it was real strong in me, when the person said that, just like the Lord said to me on the inside, spoke to my heart, because the, the, the fellow said, well, if, if we only had more money, and the Lord spoke, I felt he spoke to my heart, said that lack of money wasn't their problem. A lack of money wasn't their problem. And as I sought the Lord about it, here's what I feel he showed me, is that a lack of money can just amplify and expose marital problems that already exist. Did you hear me? Now, I mean, the Bible says we should work and all of that. We're not, you know, we're not saying we shouldn't work. But what I am saying is, is that a lot, in this particular case, a lack of money wasn't their problem. They had some severe marital problems. And really, when I got down to it and looked at it, the severe marital problems that they had was actually causing the lack of money, which made them argue more. And, and, and the fellow said, if only we had more money. Money wasn't their problem. If they just get together and fix their marriage and get these marriage problems 
un, uh, under control, then the money would, would start coming in, you see. But a lack of money can just amplify and expose marital problems that already exist. Sufficient money can just mask existing problems. All right, let's go ahead and close this up. Verse 25 says, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. That's verse 25. Now, they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Notice they were naked before one another, not naked before someone else. Can, you, can anybody say amen? amen? Safeguard your marriage against having affairs. Never be alone with someone of the opposite sex. No telephone conversations or internet conversations with someone of the opposite sex other than if it's strictly business. Can anybody say amen? Amen. God intended marriage to be a place of total openness with your spouse in all areas, spiritually, emotionally, physically, socially, and financially. Marriage must be a place of total and complete openness, especially in communication. We have to be able to communicate with our spouse and be open with our spouse without ridicule. And what I mean by that is, you know, if he tells me something that's bothering him, you know, I can't say, well, that's stupid. That would be with ridicule, and that's going to close off the communication lines. If I say something to him like, uh, uh, no, if he says something to me like, you know, that's the, that's the worst dinner you've ever cooked, well, that's going to close off a communication line between us. He could say something like, you know, I like the dinner you cooked last night so much. I like chicken better than beef or something. You can, say, you can say the same thing without saying it very rudely. And your reaction to your spouse when they're telling you things that are private and personal can open up the lines of communication and make that person feel safe or they can shut it down. And something else that, I, that I'll say is we feel strongly that your spouse should be your best friend. Now, you can have friends and all that, that's good, but, but you, know, you know, ladies, your husband should be your best friend. And fellas, your wife should be your best friend. You understand? Yes, and I don't have any girlfriends that I go to or any family members that I go to and complain about my husband about anything. I believe that is against the law. <laughs> it's against the law in my, in my heart. I don't go to anybody. Now, if he was beating me, or he went out and gambled all our money away, then I would need to confide in somebody. I would need to get some kind of help. But in a normal marriage with normal problems and normal personality quirks and stuff, I don't go to anybody and complain about my husband because that would be violating the trust that we have with each other. And I do the same with her. I don't have a friend over here that I go talk to this friend about her. I, I don't do that. I think that's against Scripture. She's my best friend. And by the way, if, it, lady, if you're hearing your husband's beating you, get away from him. Get away from him. I said get away from him. Don't put up with that. I, I tell you, the Bible is against that. Also, I did want to clarify when we said about talking to someone of the opposite sex or inter, on the Internet. You, you know what I mean by that? How many of you know sometimes you, you, in your job you've got to call somebody and talk to them opposite sex? Is that right? Or you've got to send an email? But that's strictly business. But what we're saying is don't spend time on the phone with somebody of the opposite sex or, or doing emails or texting. Can you say amen? 
because that just can lead to, lead to no good. You understand what we're saying. All right, we're almost done here. Also, uh, uh, communication, talk to your spouse. Talk to them. We spend a lot of time talking, don't we? Mm-hmm. Married 21 years, and we spend a lot of time talking. And one thing we've seen is that the first sign of marital problems is when the communication, uh, when the couples stop talking. And uh, we, we talked a lot before we got married. We talk more now that we've got married. We talk a lot together. And so we just think communication is a key to, to success in marriage. So spend a good deal of time talking to your spouse. How was your day? How do you feel? How's everything going? And talk to one another. And, and if you ever get into an argument, how many's ever got into an argument between me, beside me and Diane? Listen to this. When you get angry with your spouse... Don't duke it out right there with words. And don't ever hit one another. Say amen. (laughs) But you know, you can hurt somebody with words maybe worse than with your fists. Go to the neutral corner, cool off. You know why that is? Because you can say things to your spouse and hurt them in ways that they'll maybe never be able to heal from. So go to the neutral corners, cool off, and then the Bible says don't let the sun go down on your anger. Come back together before the sun goes down. You know what I mean? In a short time, come back together after after you've cooled off. Talk through the problem. Her and I, we've had arguments over the years, but we get together, we talk through it. I share my side, she shares her side. and, And you know what? There's been times I've been so wrong and she's been very right. And then vice versa. But we come together, we talk it out, we communicate, and then we, we kiss and make up, and we, we, we go right on down the road. Amen? And the only way you're going to be able to do that is having the ability to say that you're wrong. A lot of people don't want to ever do that. They're so full, filled with pride that they can never say that they're wrong. If you have a problem with that, just go stand in front of the mirror and say, I was wrong, I was wrong. Get used to saying it because you are wrong a lot of the time, just like your spouse is wrong a lot of the time. And even if you don't feel like you're wrong sometimes, just say, you know, I might have been wrong. I might have been wrong. Will you forgive me? I might have said that in the wrong way. Practice saying that. That will go a long way in your marriage relationship. Some people just can't say they're wrong. They'll say, I was I was, they can't get that out. Let's practice. Let's practice. Say this. Say, I could be. I could be. Wrong. Wrong. Okay, there you, there you okay, go. Okay, let's go a step further. I was. I was. Wrong. Wrong. Okay, one more. I am. I am. Wrong. Wrong. Ah, see, everybody can do it. Yeah, yeah, amen. So, you know, if you just be willing to look at yourself and admit that you could be wrong in something, you know, that goes a long way. And, uh, well, stand with us. I hope you got something good out of this today. Amen. Praise